Hello and welcome to Modern Men. On this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Will Armstrong, also known as the T-Total Trainer. Now, Will is somebody who has battled with addiction to drugs and alcohol for a large portion of his life and is now clean for a number of years and is using his experiences to help other people. He's doing incredible things when it comes to coaching people who are struggling with their relationship with alcohol and also just people who want to stop drinking full stop, even if they don't see it as a problem necessarily. Now, on the episode, Will talks about the anxiety, depression, mental health struggles that led him down a path of addiction and how he came to the realisation with the help of peers that he was struggling deeply and that he needed to make some drastic changes in his life. Now, Will did just that, and like I said, he is now helping other people do the same thing. So, a superb episode, topics that we've not really covered before on Modern Men. Just before we get going, do remember to go down into the description and uh, the links to the socials are down there if you'd like to give me a follow. The links to Will's socials are also down below as well, so do check out Will's socials and his website and his community and everything related to Will Armstrong. The last thing to say is don't forget to give me a follow and a rating on your favourite podcast app because that means that we can expand the conversation surrounding men's mental health. Without further ado, here's the episode with Will Armstrong. So Will, thank you for joining me on Modern Men. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I know we've been kind of having a, having a chat about it and kind of it's been in the pipeline for a while so it's good to, fi- to finally get you on. How are you doing at the moment? Yeah, I'm really well, and and thank you so much for having me on. I thought it was quite funny because I remember you told me the date we were recording, and I I must have put it in a month early. And I remember message, messaging you on that day, wondering what we had to do. And the yeah, you got back to me saying we were a month early. I just like to be prepared, you know. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But um, we're here now, so you know, it hopefully is going to be a really kind of interesting conversation, really insightful conversation. I know you've got a very kind of interesting story to tell and a story that's kind of helped and inspired a lot of people by the sounds of things so um it'll be really interesting to kind of hear your background and hear everything across the episode but we're gonna open up with the initial question which is if we could be having this conversation anywhere in the world where would it be and why um that's actually a really great question i like that question um so to be honest it would probably be in um the north of Thailand in a little place called Pai, P-A-I. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I love to speak about all these things and, and do podcasts like this. I could do it from anywhere. However, if I could do it from anywhere, I would choose somewhere that I really, really love. And about four, four years ago, I ended up traveling around Southeast Asia by myself for about a year. And there was a, so many places I loved out there, one of which was Pai in Thailand, and it's just such a incredibly um, beautiful, spiritual, just magical place. Um, so if I yeah, if I could choose anywhere, I'd choose somewhere that I I feel an affinity to, which is that. Yeah, that's lovely. I think I've I've not really ventured out to that part of the world like at any point, which is something that I certainly want to kind of tick off, and hopefully over the next few years, I get the opportunity to kind of venture out that way what what kind of place is it like is it kind of quite picturesque sort of small place or is it more what does it sort of look like so it's a small mountain village um in between all these uh, all these mountains in the north it's very spiritual incredible weather um surrounded by jungles incredible food it's just uh yeah it's, it's a really really amazing place and like i said i spent the entire year kind of traveling around that part of the world it ended up um, actually finding that Indonesia was somewhere that I really I really loved and that's where I spent uh, the majority of last year and I'm actually planning to go back out soon. For me, that feels more like home, funnily enough, than, than the UK does nowadays. All right. What we're going to do is just sort of take it right back to the start. So what were your kind of first memories and experiences or kind of did, did you have like a light bulb moment when it comes to kind of mental health i guess yeah to be honest obviously a lot of what i talk about and do now is i help people with you know alcohol or drug issues but 
a lot of that stems from something that happened to me way before I ever really got involved heavily with that, which was um, social anxiety. Now, I started to develop quite a severe case of social anxiety when I was 15 years old. However, at the time, I had no idea what it was. I couldn't really understand why I was feeling this way, but to put it simply, I would have pretty severe panic attacks just at the thought of being around other people. Um, I think that stems from, you know, when you're a, a teenage boy, when you're kind of not sure of yourself, a lot of things are happening to your body. And I used to get quite embarrassed quite easily. And it was almost, you know, social anxiety is seen as quite a quite an egotistical um, situation to be in because you think that everyone's watching, you think that everyone is judging you. In other words, you think that everything is about you. And I used to just really kind of panic at the idea that someone could embarrass me and I used to blush and turn bright red. And it was it was something at the time which was really horrendous, a really horrendous thing to go through. But again, this was, you know, this was a good, oh, how long is it? 18 years ago. This was, you know, at a time where mental health wasn't really spoken about that much, especially if you're a guy, especially in the UK, um, especially the kind of place that I was in. It just wasn't really normal to talk about it. So I didn't speak to anyone about it for probably a good four to five years. And over that time, I was in a constant internal mental battle with myself. And again, I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know if I could speak to someone about it. But also, I didn't understand where it was coming from or why I was feeling it. I felt like I was the only person in the world to feel this anxiety. Now, I used to find little tips or tricks to help me avoid these situations. You know, one example was when I was at university and I was 19 years old, I used to really struggle going to uh, lectures or seminars. And it actually resulted in me leaving university without a degree because I just couldn't handle it. Now, we used to, I was staying in the halls on the campus and we had a, a lunch hall where, you know, every, every day we would go and get lunch and you'd sit in this giant hall with close to 200 other students in it. Now, I was scared stiff of being in that in that hall with all these other students that for me was my worst nightmare however i had paid for um to be catered accommodation so i was paying for this food so i didn't want to miss out on it obviously i had to have lunch so i used to convince all of my friends that we should go to lunch at the very end of the service which was around i think it was about half one we would go literally minutes before because we knew or let's say i knew that not many people would be there and I would feel a bit more comfortable. At that time, I still didn't tell my friends why I was doing it. I was just kind of planning around to make sure and if anyone ever wanted to go earlier, I would try and convince everyone, no, we have to go later. And I, I, I didn't even know how to communicate this. I didn't know what was going on with me. I remember Googling it, which, you know, is always a, a very <laughs> silly thing to do because you, you think you have everything else. But there was one condition that came up called agoraphobia, which was the fear of turning red, which I still believe is is what I had. I had a real fear of blushing. And, you know, the funny thing was, if I was ever sent into a panic attack and people would notice I'm blushing, as soon as I got that out of the way, I felt better. I felt comfortable in that environment because I felt like something was building and waiting for this moment. And once it happened, it was kind of gone. Now, again, it's only in hindsight and years and years later, I understand what was happening to me. But when you don't really know what's going on, it can be incredibly worrying and, and isolating. And there was times where I was having up to 100 panic attacks a day. And I was even having panic attacks in my bedroom by myself just at the thought of being around someone. Um, so it was incredibly debilitating. Now, when that is happening to you and you feel like you've got this rich, colorful personality you want to share with people... It's almost like there's a wall stopping you. There's a there's a wall of anxiety stopping you from being your true self, which is incredibly frustrating. Now, I found something that actually really helped with that, and that was alcohol. Alcohol was this tool I found where once I had a drink, I wasn't anxious. I didn't care about people looking at me. And in fact, I would, in most situations, become the center of attention just to avoid the fear of ever becoming it, which is quite ironic. I would make sure I was the one that was the loudest, the, the most entertaining, so that I knew for a fact the attention was on me, instead of worrying when it would, when it would fall on me instead. Um, now, the one thing is, when you find something like alcohol that really helps 
there was such a desire for me to have alcohol at all social situations. You know, I think it's it's fair to say that the majority of this country use alcohol to socialize. And uh, the danger with that is the more you associate alcohol with socializing, the, the more you forget how to socialize without it. And this is the one thing I, I you know, I, I help a lot of people who struggle with alcohol. And one of the biggest hurdles they ever face is the social side of things. How do I go out? How do I go to the pub and not drink? And it's because we spend years and years thinking that we can only, uh, so, uh, we can only socialize with alcohol. Now, I actually ended up um, leaving university, like I said, without a degree because I, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't attend seminars. I, I couldn't attend lectures. And obviously, once I uh, left university, I had to explain that to my parents. And I was 19 years old. And, you know, I come from a very medical background. My, 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 my dad, my brother, my mum was in pharmaceuticals. It's, it's all very medical. And you know, I had to tell my dad that I left, but didn't really know how to communicate it. And I just said, I, I really struggle being around other people. I don't know what it is. And I remember he said to me, oh, it's social anxiety. This is very common. You know, we can, we can get the scene to. And I was like, oh, okay. It suddenly, it was just a relief to talk about it, just to tell someone what I was feeling. And I remember that summer I went to see a therapist and, you know, there's a real stigma around therapy in this country, especially 17 years ago. Um, and it was just, I didn't really know what to expect, but all I found was just someone who was incredibly impartial, non-judgmental, and able to put things into perspective for me. And once I saw things in perspective and we kind of broke it down together, suddenly I realized that I was kind of, there was this whirlwind of anxiety going on in my head, whereas all it took was a little bit of organizing and a bit of perspective and insight to suddenly realize that not only was it incredibly irrational, but also it was kind of pointless the way I was thinking about things. And this is when I, I realized the power of talk therapy and, and speaking to someone who understands what's going on with you. Um, now, having said that, it still didn't rid me of anxiety completely. And over the years from, let's say, the age of 19, you know, for the following maybe eight or nine years, there were still times where I felt socially anxious, but it was nothing compared to what it used to be. Um, however, I started to use alcohols and eventually drugs more and more to help with that anxiety, uh, or at least what I thought was helping when in fact it was only exacerbating it. And it always made it worse when I wasn't on alcohol or drugs. Um, but yeah, I guess this was, you know, that was my first introduction to understanding what mental health was and, and how, um, if it's if it's good, then it can be incredible. If it's bad, it can be uh, disastrous and debilitating. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, with the with the kind of initial stages of the journey that you sort of explained there, there are so many elements of that that I relate to in terms of. I really like what you said about kind of having that sort of colourful personality or having things that you want to express but feeling like there's a wall in the way and feeling kind of too anxious to express those things and I've definitely been in situations like that before and I've also definitely been in situations where I have kind of I, I want to say probably relied on alcohol to socialize or at least to make it a lot easier to socialize because I had that those experiences with social anxiety when I was young when I was younger I struggled in terms of kind of building friendships and maintaining friendships and I also just kind of isolated myself in many ways and weirdly like very specific thing like what you said about kind of having to go into the lunch hall that's something that I remember from from uh, from secondary school actually is I used to go and sit I used to kind of sit in the ICT room and play games on the computer on my lunch break and I would kind of surreptitiously eat whilst I was in there because I didn't want to have to go down by myself into this huge hall full of people. So it's interesting. One thing that I found really intriguing about doing this podcast is kind of my my main kind of goal when I set out to do it was to, I suppose, help other people or help to kind of normalize men talking about mental health. But one major thing that it's done is kind of made me realize how many of the kind of incidents or experiences I've had when I was growing up are actually way more common than I thought like the the whole lunch hall thing is very very similar to what I experienced so 
that's another positive hopefully people can take from modern men is kind of picking up on these things and going oh right well so it wasn't it wasn't just me that thing that i did when i was 12 or 18 or whatever that i i thought i was weird and i thought i was the only person in the world who was who thought like that actually i wasn't alone there were loads and loads of other people doing it as well so it's it's really interesting that you say that um one thing that i did kind of want to ask obviously you kind of said about how you began to use alcohol as a way to kind of ensure that you were always the center of attention when do you kind of remember or can you identify a turning point when when that kind of went from being kind of a healthy a healthy or or kind of an acceptable level of drinking to when it became an, a problem and when it started becoming something that was more than just kind of having the odd drink to to socialize was there a turning point yeah that's a very interesting and uh complex question so i'm gonna have fun answering that um but yeah like you said just before before i answer that with the you know you can relate to things and that's probably one of the most important things not just when it comes to anxiety or mental health but i tell a lot of people who struggle with alcohol the same thing is in those moments it feels like we're the odd one out like something is wrong with us yeah when in fact everyone everyone i know everyone i've spoken to at some point struggles with something you know anxiety is huge at the minute and the lives we live nowadays are so conducive to high anxiety you know you actually have to put effort into doing certain things to lower your anxiety such as you know getting off your phone getting a decent night's sleep eating the right foods exercising so it's 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 not uncommon in fact it's the opposite and that was what really helped me in the beginning to realize that i wasn't the only one and not only were there others there were so many others in the same situation so yeah if anyone's listening and and struggles with anxiety or thinks they're the only person struggling um uh, there's there's so many there's so so many um but yeah the, the 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 question was interesting because you said you know when did it go from a healthy or acceptable level of alcohol which to be honest is a really really tricky question to answer because you know now that i'm coming up to 5 years of having no alcohol and my entire job and my passion, my life is around helping people who struggle with alcohol. You know, the more I learn about this substance, um, it, I would I would say that there is zero healthy amount of alcohol mm-hmm. that you can have. Uh, socially acceptable is a different a different term, but health wise, there is no level of alcohol that is healthy for the human body. Now, there might be people listening saying, "Well, I've heard that red wine is good for you," and I would agree the antioxidants in red wine are very good for you. However, it also has alcohol in it. Um, and I find that the people that say the red wine is good for you aren't drinking non-alcoholic red wine. They're, uh, they're, they're drinking the good stuff. Um, so it's, it's, a very, uh, it's a very interesting one when it comes to health. Now, socially acceptable, you know, I was, I was drinking in my teenage years when I first developed this anxiety the same way everyone else was. It wasn't getting home from school and cracking open a beer three times a week. It was, we go around to a friend's house at the weekend and we all get blind drunk in a field somewhere. And I feel like almost everyone who uh, grew up between, I don't know, the 90s and the, the noughties had a very similar experience. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I noticed now that Gen Z don't drink anywhere near as much as we used to. Um, and again, I put that massively down to social media because... I really, I'm grateful there was nowhere to uh, video me and post it online during those years when you're a stupid teenager. But yeah, so I kind of, I was drinking in a binge fashion, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't every day. It was, it was once at the weekend and then the rest of the weekend you would just like chill, go to the cinema or play Xbox or PlayStation or something. Um, But then during university, I was drinking incredibly heavily. To the point now where even, you know, even at the point where I felt like I had to stop drinking forever, it still wasn't as heavy then as it was when I was at university. I think uh, I went to uh, a, a sporting university, which was very low amounts of drugs, very high amounts of alcohol. And I would find myself, I even remember how much I would sometimes have, you know, before I would go on a night out, I would buy two bottles of wine, eight cans of Strongbow, uh, cider and I would have that just to myself before I go out and then once I was out I would order at the bar a pint a bottle a mixer and a shot as my round and I would do that round sometimes close to five to ten times 
So I was consuming a really, really dangerous amount of alcohol on an incredibly regular basis. So I could say at university, things were getting really, really out of hand. However, leaving university was actually uh, a bit of a godsend for me because I didn't want to carry on with the course I was doing. I didn't want to go down that path. I always wanted to do something for myself. And I actually found my way into hospitality. I was looking for a, a job to make some money while I decided what I wanted to do. And I actually loved working in hospitality. I loved the social control I had in that situation, which is very odd for someone you're probably thinking who has social anxiety. I would spend my life working in a room filled with 100, 200 people, constantly socializing. Whereas I love to socialize. But like we said, there's a wall in between that socializing. Now that wall can actually be control. You know, I was always fine if I had full control over a social situation. And when you're managing a restaurant, that's exactly what you are. You are you are controlling that. And even the, the subtle psychology of people being sat down, but I'm stood up, helped me. And suddenly I found that I could be in this environment, which almost felt like I was on stage. It felt theatrical. It felt like I wasn't actually being my true self, but I could maybe be put on this front and, and acted it. And I, I loved it. I actually preferred being at work than I did to socializing outside. I was I was terrified of socializing, socializing outside of work, but I was super comfortable being in work, which actually led me to working crazy long hours happily because I was just content being there. And I think it was down to this, the fact that I was obsessed with being at work that helped me really progress, despite the fact that I was still drinking quite heavily and binging every now and again. And I ended up going for an interview um, in London at a very famous restaurant at the time and they uh, they took me on and I within two weeks I moved down to London as a 21 year old and I remember going down there and thinking this is a this is a very very old very famous place I need to be on my best behavior no drinking I'm not going to smoke in front of anyone and it was on the first day I realized that everyone was smoking and after work all of us went drinking and that was the real start for me because that went from what seemed to be quite wholesome drinking in a pub to suddenly being city kind of drinking, which came with narcotics and a lot of them. Um, and the relationship I had with this was fairly intense for the first few years. And then there was moments where it kind of plateaued out, you know, in my mid twenties, but every time, you know, I did drink to the extreme or I did binge, it was more destructive because I had more responsibility by that time. I still managed to make my way up the ranks within the industry and it was by the time I was 27 I had landed uh, a role as a general manager in one of the most well-known luxurious hotels in London and I was dreaming of being a general manager by the time I was 35 but I got it when I was 27. Now that is a lot of responsibility and at that time I was still drinking to excess and I was jeopardizing my job I was jeopardizing my relationships I was out of control and I would feel so horrendous for days if not an entire week after having a big session it would be the guilt and the embarrassment and just feeling like I wasn't aligned with who I was meant to be or who I wanted to be and it was by the time I reached 28 years old was the day I decided I don't want to drink ever again yeah was there what was there it's, it's really interesting that whole kind of journey about how it how you say it sort of translated from as i said like i i know i said the word healthy but i suppose i well i did make them a sort of more acceptable or just kind of socially acceptable rather than it kind of being what society would deem a problem because uh, i've seen i guess in the wider sort of society there is an acceptable level of drinking but certainly going through the kind of experiences experiences that you've had it's absolutely no sort of surprise now kind of your 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 sort of um attitude towards it that completely makes total sense uh, i know you said kind of when you were about 28 that's when you had a turning point was there what what kind of was that was there a specific incident or was it because i've seen kind of on your on your instagram account before and kind of in in reels that you've done and on things like that about how some of the people that were around you weren't necessarily didn't necessarily have your best interest at heart in terms of kind of helping you identify that there was a problem there um and a lot of the time in those situations because everyone else is caught up in the fun of the situation and kind of or, or, or is in a similar boat themselves possibly even 
don't kind of help you pick up on the fact that look this is a problem you actually need to need to get help what was that sort of journey like of actually admitting to yourself that there was a problem there and how how did that what did that stem from and how did that kind of manifest i'm very excited to talk about this because this was this was a huge moment in my life but before i do um just going back to that moment where you know you said it depends what society would deem a problem now this is an area i'm fascinated in mm. because for so many years i was drinking to excess i was binging but everyone else was doing it in every situation i was in i wasn't the only one in the room like that it was everyone and to be honest that was what felt acceptable and it's funny that you can get blackout drunk or or go on benders for days and it's acceptable because everyone's doing it but then if you say you've got a problem you know a lot of the reactions are like oh my god i didn't realize but wait a minute what's what is a problem you know there's we usually think that there's a certain amount of drinking that defines a problem or is it the time of the day is it the frequency but in fact for me a problem is simply how you feel about it if you feel like it is problematic then it is so that was something that really um i thought about a lot when i stopped because when i did stop there was a lot of comments saying oh but you're fine you don't have a problem and i thought oh yeah okay even though i'm miserable with it if you say i don't have a problem maybe i should carry on there's you know there's always that second guessing in your head but the the moment when i had a bit of a let's call it an awakening was i had planned a weekend away with a couple of friends um up to the lake district which is you know one of my favorite parts of the country so beautiful we were going to do some hiking and just have a really wholesome weekend now the night before we were going there i was running the i was running a bar and i wanted to celebrate so i had a shot of tequila and i don't remember what happened next thing i know i'm sat in someone's flat at midday the next day and i'm two hours away from getting a train and i haven't slept i'm still wearing this white tuxedo suit and i thought what have i done i've completely ruined this i ended up meeting up with my friends at the station and one of them was incredibly direct and incredibly honest with me which at the time i hated because i didn't want to hear it i didn't want to hear the truth and this is you know like you said the people around you when you start to drink to excess you create the world around you to be conducive to that you want people who also drink heavily because then no one's going to point out that you've got to, you know, you've got to reflect on what you're doing. You don't have to. So this was the first time someone had said to me, and he said these words, you need to sort your life out. And no one had spoken to me like that before. So it really, it really triggered me. And I remember being really upset and almost mumbling angrily in my head, like, you don't have to tell me what to do. I'm fine. I'm perfect. I'm, I'm, I've got everything sorted out. But obviously I didn't. Now, we went away for that weekend and had a really lovely, wholesome time. We still went to the pub and had a few beers, but we did some hiking. And it was over this weekend I really reflected on that statement and reflected on what I'd been doing for the weeks, months, even years leading up to that moment. And what I was, where it was leading me, what was what was the rest of my life looking like? I remember thinking, that there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than just, you know, every week I go out, I get drunk even several times a week. Um, so I remember on the train back to London, um, at the end of the weekend, I had a moment where I said, right, that's it. I'm going to do a week. I want to do a week with no drinking, no drugs, no smoking. And a week for me at that time was actually a very long time. I was running a bar where we drank every night. So a week was a real challenge, but I was so determined. I was so motivated because I had felt so awful that weekend by, you know, partying as much as I did. So I started on the Monday. And I thought, right, I'm going to do the whole week, Monday through to Sunday, no alcohol, no cigarettes, no drugs. And by Wednesday, I was trying to go to the pub because I said to my colleague, listen, we finished work early. Why don't we go get a drink? And I'm grateful for this colleague because he turned to me and said, no, you told me you weren't drinking this week. I'm not going with you. And I was quite angry that he did that. And I remember thinking, damn, I shouldn't have said anything. But I remember getting home. I thought, you know, what? let me carry on this week. By the time I got home, there was no urge. I was over it. Well, I actually, I actually felt kind of happy to be back home and thought, right, I'm going to carry on. So I did a week. And after a week, this fog cleared in my head and I felt incredible. I'd not done like this in years. And I thought, you know what? Part of me was saying, right, well, it's Monday tomorrow. You've got to go and have a drink just to get back into it. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Why do I feel like I have to go and drink? I'm going to do another week. So I, I ended up doing two weeks. 
two weeks, no alcohol, no cigarettes, no drugs, and I, I had never felt better. I felt unstoppable. However, that night, two weeks in, I went on a date, a first date, and I liked this girl. I was kind of nervous, and she I didn't know how to tell her. I didn't know how to tell her I wasn't drinking because I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I didn't have a solid way of answering any questions or communicating what my intentions were because I didn't know what my intentions were. However, as soon as she arrived, I said to her, by the way, listen, I'm not going to drink tonight. And she got kind of upset and was like, no, you've, you've got to drink tonight. And I said, please, please don't make me drink. And she said, listen, if you're going to stop drinking, you can stop tomorrow. And I couldn't argue with that logic. I went, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, let me, we'll drink tonight. And then tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to stop. So we drank that night and I hadn't drank in two weeks leading up to this. And those two weeks, I felt incredible. So we didn't drink to excess. We were, we were pretty drunk, but it wasn't, it wasn't binging for days. I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. Um, and it was a fun night. However, in the morning, I remember going out for breakfast, sitting there and the familiar feeling of anxiety, frustration, guilt, shame, regret, embarrassment all came flooding back. And something in my head that day just clicked and I said, no, you're not doing this to yourself ever again. You've tasted what it's like to be alcohol free. And this makes absolutely no sense. So going forward, your top priority is not drinking. And anything that comes into conflict with your top priority, you just dismiss because it's pointless to argue it. There is no more mental debate. And yeah, that was that was the day that I decided that was the day I, I, uh, I woke up and haven't had a drink since. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's always interesting to hear when people have had experiences with addiction or dependencies or anything like that to 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 anything. It doesn't even have to be alcohol or 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 anything like that. It's really interesting to hear how kind of you I think people have this idea that people go that everyone goes to rehab and that's how they get over addictions. But I've I've heard probably more stories of people being addicted to, you know, alcohol, drugs, gambling, any of those kind of things who have kind of stumbled into that into a level of kind of clarity about it almost on their own and have kind of hit a, hit this kind of way that's worked for them in terms of how they can get through that and it's 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 worked it's not like it's kind of because I know a lot of people will have kind of convince themselves oh look i'm gonna stop and then a week later or so they convince themselves the other direction back like actually no do you know what it's not a problem it's all right i'll just do it anyway but the fact that you've managed to do that and it's worked is is really it's kind of very eye-opening i think that you kind of if there's something you're unhappy with in your life whatever level it is if it's kind of a full-scale addiction or whether it's just a kind of habit or a dependency that you're that you're unhappy with you can kind of switch your perception of it in your head and kind of come to realizations yourself. Um, obviously, there's stuff like rehab is absolutely necessary for a lot of people, but it's really interesting to kind of hear your individual story and kind of, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just a really interesting explanation. So thanks for that. Um, I just wanted to ask as well now. Obviously, now a lot of the work that you do surrounds helping people who are in similar situations to what you were in. When did you kind of realize that you wanted to help help other people who have been in these similar situations? And what kind of work are you doing now on a day-to-day basis? So to be honest, as soon as I stopped drinking, I felt like I discovered a secret. Like it was, it was incredible. Everything in my life got better. My sleep, my diet, my relationships, my financial situation, my work, everything started to improve. So I was thinking, wow, I was, I was limiting myself in all these different areas. Now, I, was, I consider myself to be very lucky that I did take it to that extreme because it gave me no alternative mentally. It wore me down. Now, the majority of people, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people with a very similar relationship to mine with alcohol. However, most of the people I help, and I'll explain how I help them, most of the people I help were not as extreme as me, not even close. However... There are people out there who, compared to me, drink incredibly little, but they still struggle. That's why I think it's so important to to remind everyone that the, the, the definition of a problem is how you feel about it. I know there's people out there who drink just maybe a couple of glasses of wine one day a week, and they don't like it. They just want to drop it. 
So that's the kind of work I go into where I, I, I open my work to a huge range of people. And basically anyone who wants to stop drinking alcohol is welcome. Doesn't matter what your relationship is like. Now, when I did first stop, my good friend who I used to party with, he ended up going to rehab and, and he was a, a regular at uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said to me, the only way you can stop drinking is by coming to AA. And I thought, yeah, fine, you know, a, a room full of people who are similar to me, that's actually going to be quite nice. And I, I remember turning up my first one and I was so optimistic and so positive and I actually got the chance to, uh, to talk and I think I spoke for about five to ten minutes of some of the darkest, craziest stuff I'd been worried about or thinking about and it just felt incredible to get it out there and share it. And when I did, there was no judgment. No one cared, really. It was, it was, they cared, but didn't care. It was just, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't as big a deal as I made it out to be in my head. And I loved that. However, that's exactly how I wanted to keep going. I wanted to be a positive experience. You know, when we get to a position where we think we want to drop alcohol from our lives, we're kind of trained or in, encouraged to think that it's a negative. It's going to be boring. You're going to miss out on things. Whereas that is the complete opposite. And the work I do with people is to shift that focus from being a negative to, in fact, one of the best decisions and the most positive, enjoyable things you could ever do with your life. Because not only do I believe it because I've been through it, but I can see the people I've already helped have gone through the same pattern as me. Now, the way I, let's say, help people on a day-to-day basis, obviously, you know, you found me through Instagram and I spend a lot of time making consistent um, content that is relatable for people to watch on there because everything I do is based on what I know I would have wanted or I would have found useful. Now, the one thing when I was struggling and I used to spend the hangover or the come down lying on the couch on my phone, I never ever saw anyone talk about alcohol in a way that was not talking about how encouraging it is or how it's fun to be drunk. So I really felt like, you know, because one of the only ways to get out of this drinking world that people see is AA, where it's anonymous. You're not meant to talk about it. I didn't agree with that. And this is the reason why I, I went to about four meetings and I realized it wasn't for me. I wanted to find another way. And the more that those people inside of it told me that there wasn't another way, the more I was driven to find that way. And I knew there was. I knew I could do it. And I'm I'm living proof, you know, in two months, I'll be five years without a drink and about four and a half years without any temptation for anything because I've, I've, I've done the work into myself to find out exactly what it is that drives so many of us to drink and to lose control with it. And, you know, that's, that's what I do. I, 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 I share content of me talking openly and honestly about alcohol, about drugs, about anxiety, so people can relate to it. And on top of that, I created a podcast where I, I talk about some of the darkest moments I ever went through and, and also how I got out of it. You know, it, it's, it's funny how during these drinking years for so many people, you feel all these negative emotions like guilt and shame. And yet when you stop drinking, we're encouraged to still feel the same emotions, even though we're doing the complete opposite thing. That's what I didn't agree with. I, I think it should be an incredibly positive thing and you should be proud and you should share it you should you should share it because it helps other people you know the same reason that you're making this podcast is by sharing and and giving people a voice it's going to help so many people and i have no doubt that it does so that's kind of what i wanted to do but i didn't you know it, it for the first let's say four three or four years i was helping people but it was my job i wasn't i wasn't doing it for anything back i just wanted to help so a lot of people knew me as the only person they knew that didn't drink and that did it openly. So a lot of people started reaching out to me over the over the years and I would, you know, I'd send them voice notes and, and just any little tips that I'd found along the way. And a lot of what I found out, some of the lessons I've learned took me three, four years to figure out because it's it's been an incredible journey. Now, it was the beginning of last year actually that I was I actually left hospitality and became a personal trainer because I find that exercise is one of the most incredible tools um, to help you and just to just to better your mental health. So I thought I'm going to become a personal trainer, but I found that when I was doing that, I almost wanted to talk to them more than train them about all the different ways they could improve their mental health. Um, physical exercise was just a small slice of a, a much greater pie that I was trying to feed everyone. 
And I thought, do you know what? This isn't quite right. Anyway, I ended up moving to Thailand. And when I was in Thailand, I found a gym and I wanted to do a live training session with people, a free, a free session just to come along and, and do it. And it was funny because I organized it probably the day before. I didn't really think about it. And I set it all up in this gym with the camera ready, ready to do a workout and not one person came. And I remember sitting there and even thinking, I was upset that no one came, but also I was upset that I wasn't even excited about doing it. I didn't want to do a a workout to a phone and it, it just it didn't seem like something I wanted I wasn't passionate about it I was passionate about exercise but not to a phone so I, I went home that day I actually met with a couple of friends and they are you know they were very big on social media still are and they talk to the camera a lot and that you know he is a, a men's mental health freedom coach she's an empowerment coach like incredible inspiring people these friends I made out there and they said to me, why don't you, uh, well, no, I said to them, it's coming up to my four years um, anniversary of not drinking. And I always like to do something special. I'm thinking of maybe recording a video. And they kind of prompted me and said, yeah, go record it. And I was terrified to talk to the camera. I didn't really know how to do it. But I remember I made this video where I said, for today, I'm going to clear my schedule. And anyone who's struggling with alcohol, reach out to me. I'll help you because I felt like it was something good to give back to something that has helped me so much in my life. I want to help others who struggle in the same way. And it was crazy because it absolutely blew up. I got so many comments, messages, likes. It was just, you could tell that people didn't need a personal trainer. They needed someone to talk to about their alcohol use. And these were people that, you know, at this point, the majority of my Instagram was just people I knew. And those people I knew that were reaching out to me, who I had no idea they were struggling. And that's the thing, when you struggle with alcohol or drugs, you become a master at hiding it. So no one knew. No one knew when I was struggling. So how could I know if they were? And it made me realize that I've got a much bigger mission on my hands. Um, and it, it feels like an absolute necessity that I help people. And I do that through one-to-one -one calls. I have an online community where I do live calls as a group. Um, I do full-on support for a month where it's me and you the whole way through the month. Um, and I also have a workshop where you can kind of watch this workshop I made on your own agenda in your own time. No, no need to speak live. On top of that, having the podcast, this is, this is how I, I help people get out of it and break free from it. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting and, and, and really kind of really great how you've managed to sort of switch your such negative experiences, extremely negative experiences and kind of flip it in the other, in the other direction. And I, coming from somebody who's never, you know, had suffered with with debilitating addiction or anything like that, I still can kind of see the benefits of sharing your story and being open about your story because it adds that level of accountability, obviously, if, you've if you tell people. But also it's kind of, rather than making it a kind of stigmatized thing or something that's negative and to be hidden, it's the total opposite. So that's, I think, a, a much kind of more positive way of framing the idea of getting help or the idea of recovery or, or rehabilitation in whatever form you have it. So, yeah, actually, I think that's, I think that's really nice. I love that. Um, well, I, I, yeah, but just before you ask the other, the next question, that's actually one thing that I say quite a lot is if, if you were in a position where, let's say, you decide you want to train for a marathon or you're going to do some sort of extra work to try and get a promotion, you would you would proudly share these things because you're looking to improve your life in some way. However, when we look to improve our life by removing alcohol, we we don't share the same sense of pride. And you're absolutely right. I think it's it's so much more powerful to share it in a positive way. I don't share my story with a negative, uh, any no negative connotations. I, I share it because it's something so common and it helps people and I found a way out of it. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I think uh, it's super important to, to, to see it in a positive way. Yeah, 100%. I just wanted to, before we go into the last two questions, just ask one real kind of like quick fire question. Do you have kind of one tip for people who are potentially starting to think about the idea of, of cutting alcohol out of their life, but they are surrounded by people who are kind of like, uh, well, one drink's fine. It's absolutely fine. You know, why not, why not just have one drink? Or oh, it's just one night. Do you have a tip to kind of 
for, for people who are in that boat where they kind of don't feel like they have the confidence to admit that this is something that they are really serious about doing? Yeah, I think a good thing to do in that position, if you're, if you're kind of on the fence, unsure about what you should do, is write a list. Write a list of the pros and cons that your behavior or your thought processes bring to your life. Now, the tip I would give if you're going to actually give up alcohol and you're, you're determined to do that, there's three things I think are necessary. One is a community or a support system. It can even be one person. But make sure whoever's in that group, that community or that support, knows what you're going through. And I mean knows it because they've been through it. They can empathize with the position you're in. The second thing is accountability, which is super powerful. You know, it's the same thing as having a personal trainer. If you have someone you can hold accountable, which is usually the same people or person in the community or support, it becomes a lot easier. And also insight. Insight is probably my number one. To understand on a deeper and more accurate level why you're drinking, why you're going down this path, and why you feel like you can't break free from it. The more you read, the more you listen, the more you learn the better insights you'll have over your behavior. Yeah, that's some really sound advice. And we'll definitely be sharing some little snippets and kind of reels and audiograms and things like that from the episode. So a lot to take away, not just for people um, and from this episode who have experienced or are experiencing alcohol addiction, but just people, even people who have the odd drink at the weekend or even people who are going through kind of addictions or dependencies in other forms unrelated to alcohol i think there's just so much to take away from this conversation so we're just going to get to the final couple of questions so what would be one resource that really helps with your mental health you would recommend for modern men um to be honest i couldn't give one because i use so many yeah i think one thing one thing that i i do put above a lot of things is uh exercise it's something i was doing even when i was drinking but exercise for me is the real release you know a lot of us get to a point where we drink or take drugs or anything it can be it can be anything it could be gambling work sex all of these things it's almost like an escape it's a form of escapism so the gym is definitely that for me however those things that i have to focus on in order to improve mental health this is not just with drinking this is all mental health my diet is incredibly important if i'm eating the wrong foods i can tell my sleep is probably number one out of all of these because if your sleep is off, if my sleep is off, I can tell instantly. I feel anxious. I feel stressed, irritable. I can I can notice the difference. Um, cold showers is my favorite, or ice baths, whichever, however hardcore you want to go. Cold water therapy is incredible at helping with mental health and just making you feel better. On top of that, there's meditation. I meditate every morning. Uh, minimum 10 minutes and it kind of just puts on that mental armor for the day to to enjoy your day and to be able to take on any of the challenges that we all undoubtedly will face Um, and also breathing techniques breathing techniques is something i've been doing for a few years and it just transforms how you feel on a day-to-day basis so yeah those are those are the the main things i use to to be as uh, happy and healthy as possible yeah, I think a lot of people kind of, especially with things like the ice bath and stuff like that and, and breathing exercises, I think because they, they've they kind of become quite, in I, I don't like to use the word trend, but I think people a lot of the time see it as that. But to hear so many individual people saying how beneficial it actually is, I've never actually done that myself. I've done cold showers and things like that, meditation uh, and, and regular exercise, but... Um, I still, I'm, I'm with you in terms of I can tell if if my diet's not quite at the level that it usually is, it does impact my sleep and it does impact, you know, the the other aspects of my life as well, like the gym and things like that. The kind of gym, sleep and diet, or or exercise, sleep and diet for me are the these kind of three things that all impact one another, and um, I I can definitely tell kind of quite quickly if one of them's sort of dropped a little bit or I've kind of Obviously, we can take our eye off the ball occasionally on things like that, but I, I can tell, like I can physically tell. Um, and it's it's really interesting that you say you say those things because they are very popular things and uh, with good reason because they, you know, are, I think like especially meditation has been such an such a useful tool for me over the past kind of couple of years. And uh, I don't currently do it as much as I used to. And it's something that I think need to kind of tap into the 
the power of meditation once again and kind of on a more daily basis uh, but um if if i was to ask you as well um what would be one tip that you would leave for modern men oh one tip i think it's to prioritize your mental health this is something i you know one of the reasons why i love living in bali in indonesia is because it's incredibly conducive to having good health mental and physical and most people there really prioritize it however when i came back to the uk and this is not a judgmental uh statement but i noticed that no one prioritizes it in the same way there are not not no one but there's there's so many people who look after themselves however we seem to have greater priorities such as being on our phone staying up late working too much all these different things and for me there is no greater currency than having mental wealth so i find that that takes priority over everything if it costs you your mental health it's too expensive yeah i'm completely with you on that and i think i've had a conversation sort of similar on this podcast before in terms of i do feel like we we live in the uk in kind of like a very very stressful you know it's it's an environment that never seems to stop there's always something going on and i think especially with kind of how we are with phones especially i say especially younger people but it's kind of trickled into um you know people in their 40s 50s 60s kind of using their phone excessively and not being able to just switch our brains off and sometimes i think yeah you do visit a different country obviously you said you spent a lot of time in um in indonesia before and you kind of re- realize that not everywhere's like that and it is all right to kind of take a step back from all of these constant things that are going on in life whether it be work whether it be you know scrolling through social media whether it be just kind of constantly being i, I can't think of the word constantly being kind of stim- distracted stimulated distracted yeah both yeah yeah so it's just it's interesting that you point that out because i think you're completely right it's so important to prioritize that and to kind of give yourself the ability and give yourself the the kind of go ahead to to step away from things sometimes and just prioritize yourself and your happiness and your well-being so i think that's a lovely piece of advice to end on so thank you will so much for coming on and kind of sharing your story because alcohol and addiction and things like that we've not covered that before on the podcast and it's really interesting to kind of hear your your experiences and and also just kind of Here's some advice as well that's applicable to people who have been through similar things, but also just people generally for their mental health as well. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. So really thank you for having me on. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, I will be leaving Will's uh, links down below in the description as well. So do go and check out his links. I believe you've got a link tree link that I can pop down there and your Instagram and things like that as well. So um i will do that so yeah thank you once again will and cheers to everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode